you know, if I were coaching you through that, that would be one of the things I would want us to explore is, well, who were you really working so hard to get that promotion for? Was it for yourself or was it for some sort of validation from someone else? Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. I'm sure you know that sometimes things get hard. Sometimes it's like a new project or piece of work or skill set that you haven't had much time to develop. So it feels uncomfortable. Like when you're trying to speak a new language or you're in a situation that doesn't play on the strengths and the talents that you've already developed, but plays on on new undeveloped skills. And it's very uncomfortable. And it's like you're climbing quicksand uphill. And while that is happening, a lot of the times we make it much harder on ourselves without realizing because we're being really, really mean to ourselves and we're brewing up anxiety and stress, not about climbing the hill and why that's so hard, but we're brewing up this anxiety and stress about us and why it's so hard for us and why we're doing it wrong and climbing it wrong and and messing it up. And and that that voice and that track and that self-criticism, it can happen so often that we don't even notice that it's there anymore. And it just becomes this thing that we take with us everywhere. We take it to work with us. It follows us to our meetings. It's behind us, tapping us on the shoulder while we're working on something. And it has an impact on our experiences and our careers. And the conversation that you're about to hear with Brenda who started her career journey as a CEO and eventually landed as a life coach. She has a fascinating story. But this conversation that you're about to hear unpacks all of that. Brenda works with high-performing professionals to help them deal with things like anxiety and burnout and essentially to help them learn to climb those mountains without all of the self-sabotage and self-flagellation and all of the negativity that we sometimes bring on to ourselves without even realizing it. This conversation was fascinating. I've listened to it more than once. Every time I listen to it, I get something different from it. There's a lot of stuff in here. I am so excited for you to hear it. So I'm going to stop talking because what you're about to hear is much more interesting than what I'm saying. And with that, I will get into the interview let her tell you a bit more about what she does and how she got there. And I will catch you on the other end. The first thing that I wanted to ask you is to share a little bit about your career arc and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. I don't even know if it really looks like an arc, Jess. It looks more like a roller coaster from time <laughs> to time. But um, I actually started my career as a small business owner and I ran a wireless communications company, which was a predominantly male dominated industry. 
And man, I learned a lot in those 20 years about how to operate in environments that were not as welcoming as you might hope they would be. But eventually, um, in running that business and and doing all of those wonderful things, I uh, managed to find myself in a state of burnout. And so I sold the company in 2005. It still exists today and is going strong, but I felt like I could not continue because I felt like it was just sucking the life out of me. And so I took on a consulting role because I was far too young to stop working. And I think I've shared with you before, I a good couple good vacations and a few good naps, and I was ready to get after it again. And so this is what I did. And I ended up then moving into a corporate role and worked in learning and development, helped to organize and start a, a, a functional learning and development department for a global pharmaceutical company. And that landed me with a promotion uh, as director of learning and development and a transfer from my hometown of Illinois, uh, south of Chicago, to uh, South Florida. And it was in South Florida that the same sort of haunts that I had in running my own business came back to visit. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, Oprah say that the universe speaks to you all the time and it, it first starts as a whisper and then it taps you on the shoulder and then eventually it's going to hit you upside the head with a two by four. <laughs> well, that's what happened in Florida. It hit me upside the head with a two by four and, and I found myself on the shower floor one morning uh, having lost consciousness, went to the hospital. It was terrifying, stress and exhaustion. That's what it uh, amounted to. And I had already begun my coaching certification, so that was helping me to some degree in getting really clear about what was wrong and what was right with my career path and and what I was choosing to do for work. And the work was not the problem, and the people was not the problem, and the company was not the problem. What was going on in my mind was the problem in how I was looking at life and looking at the experiences that I had and the things I was dreaming for. And so that then pushed me really hard to get really clear about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to do it and where I wanted to live. And, <laughs> and so today I'm happy to report that I'm a professional certified coach and I help high achieving people who find themselves riddled with stress and anxiety just like I did. And so I've used my own personal experiences to create a program to help others. Uh, hopefully, they don't have to wait for the two by four. They can, you know, take take a different approach and hopefully have greater success. So, yeah, I, I love coaching. I, I I actually believe, Jess, I was born to be a coach. When I um, when I think back about when I was a little girl, I used to tell my mom that I wanted to be a healer, but not like a nurse, and it wasn't until I became a coach that I finally realized exactly what that meant. So when they say it's inside of us all the time, our purpose, um, I think I'm an example of that. That must feel pretty good to get to that point of alignment. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an incredible feeling and I wish it for everyone. Uh, it wasn't without its challenges. You know, I was in, I was over 50 years old before I finally got a clue I guess I'm a slow learner or I didn't pay attention or something and twice suffered from burnout before I really got clear about what was important. And you do a lot of work around kind of the psychology of how people do their jobs and some of the thought processes that happen internally as people are executing. I would love to hear a little more about that. Yeah. 
So what happens often for people is that they they think that they're operating under their own value system and belief systems, and that has even afforded them a, a great deal of success in achieving, perhaps as they're working through university or their grad school, it, it's the ambition they need to plow through that and get things done. And then when they reach this level of success, or they get to the place where they thought happiness was going to lie, they'll oftentimes realize that they aren't as happy as they thought they might be. And many times the thought process behind that, the challenges that they face when realizing that, or maybe it's even just challenges in working for the company or within a particular project or team, is that unless you get really clear about what your own value system is and what your own belief system in is, oftentimes you'll find yourself behaving in ways that don't get you the results that you're looking for. And you'll struggle and wonder, and why? And why is this happening to me? When in fact, it's really a perspective um, that's not your own. Do you have any examples of what that could look like? Yeah. So for me personally, I really uh, took on this sense of victimhood when I was, particularly when I was running my own business, that everything was happening to me that life was happening to me and nobody understood the pressure I was under and nobody could understand the, the amount of hours and, and pressures that I was feeling and they were just relentless. Um, when in fact, the, well, life wasn't happening to me, I was allowing my life to um, make me feel like I was a, a victim. And so what would happen is I began to uh, exhibit some symptoms that were very uncharacteristic of me. So for example, I, I didn't want to be as social as I normally would be. And when I was in my office, I oftentimes wanted the door to be closed. Just trying to keep the world away is what I was trying to do and sit in my own misery. So you know that's kind of the example that just led me to exhaustion and fatigue when you constantly think the world is going to try to plow you over, um, it's a catabolic type of energy that actually is deconstructive. And it causes depression and anxiety and stress that if you allow it to take over, you end up needing to walk away from whatever it is you're doing. If someone connects with this and is hearing this and relates to this situation, what would you recommend to that person? What would you advise them to do? Yeah. Most of my clients come to me, they're high achieving professionals, and they find themselves in this place of being stuck, of um, not knowing what to do, knowing that they're not happy, they don't understand why everything they worked for has been achieved, they have a level of success, yet here they are feeling like, how did I get here? And when we're in those sort of states of mind, we're actually making our decisions from a place of fear. And it's in those places of fear where I would close my office door or be less social with people because I didn't want to interact. And my advice to anyone who, who feels like they're either entering into that space or they're up to their eyeballs in and at the moment, to take a bit of a time out and get really clear, clear before you make a decision. Because if we make decisions out of a place of fear, unfortunately, the past is destined to haunt us once again. And the, those decisions need to be made out of a place of truth and authenticity that you need to find within yourself. And you sometimes can't find that when you're in the, just in the thralls of the stress of the moment. So, you know, taking a time out, whether that's 
whatever you can afford to do, whether that's a weekend or your vacation or even a little sabbatical from your job, before you make any big decisions, uh, take a little bit of a break and do some real inner work. I think that can be a hard and scary thing for people because we're on this path and it gives us comfort because we know what it looks like and it gives us validation. And I think sometimes we want to be a little bit stuck in where we are because it can get really uncomfortable, I think, to start questioning things. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it is. And it's hard work. And yes, and you can't do it alone either. Uh, it's a scary place up here, I'm telling you. But the reality of it is, is that if, if you find yourself not happy, and you find yourself in a state of this stress and anxiety, it's not going to get better on its own. And it does need to take a bit of reflection about how you got there. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is that our work becomes our identity. And so it almost feels like, right, if, if I give up this thing that I've just been driven to do, I'm giving up a piece of myself or a piece of me is going to die if I, if I let that go. Some people are of the inclination also that if I don't work this hard, I won't be successful. And people will have judgment about what what that looks like. And all of those are symptoms, symptoms of not being in aligned with our true self and with what we were really meant to do. So it's scary work, I know. But once you enter into the process, you get really clear about what you want and where you want to go. And sometimes what you find out is you're exactly where you needed to be. You're there right now. And today I can say I look fondly back on my two career paths. And I'm so grateful for them because they have given me the experiences and the education and the, the knowledge to be able to share with people through my coaching practice. So doing the work doesn't necessarily mean that you totally radically shift your life. It could just be a shift in your own perspective. I'm glad you said that because I was just going to ask you what happiness and alignment looks like in a corporate environment. I'm very curious. Yeah. Have you ever... Uh, maybe you have worked in a corporate environment, but those folks that are listening who are identifying with this know that you'll run across people who it seems like nothing bothers them. You know, <laughs> you get so worked up about why they why they shifted that you know priority, and don't they know they they've given me conflicting priorities now? And what do you mean you're going to cut my budget? And, and people get all worked up about it. And then there's this group of people that seem like nothing phases them. And I think that's what it looks like. <laughs> I can't say that I ever exhibited it, but I believe that it might be what it looks like in that we realize that we don't have control over a lot of things in life. And some of those things that happen, we can get angry about them. But if we could just remain objective to what's actually happening, find what's trying to emerge in us through the, the challenge, sometimes I think that helps us instead of trying to fix a problem or take it back to the way it was or these feelings of not being heard or understood. All symptoms of this inner critic that we all carry with us. Wow, there's a lot to touch on there. I have so many thoughts. My <laughs> first thought is about this cultural narrative that we hate Monday mornings and we don't like our nine to fives and I might be incredibly nerdy and in the minority, but I try to look for special 
magical things that happen in corporate work environments and things like teamwork and collaboration and seeing ideas grow and develop and seeing a company evolve like that stuff can be cool and i i hope that people can find that in their careers i mean have you seen people find that joy as you've worked with them through this self exploration oh yeah for sure um, some of my clients find different jobs. Some of my clients stay right where they are, but find this renewed passion and vision within themselves to look forward to every day at work. And so it is possible. Oftentimes, when we dread Monday mornings, we are actually exercising a belief system that's not our own. And what here's what I mean by that. Probably somewhere along the line, we heard somewhere that we're supposed to hate Mondays, that Mondays are bad, and that we should be unhappy at our work, and it's us against them. These are all preconceived notions that sometimes we grow up with. Maybe our mom and dad said it. Maybe you had a teacher who said it. Maybe a college professor who said, you know, college is over, now you're going to start hating Monday mornings, or who knows. But it becomes a part of our who, as I call it. And that influences how we think and then eventually how we behave because our thoughts really trigger our behaviors and our actions of the things we do. So if I were to say to you as a coaching client, what if you were to look at Mondays in a neutral way, that Mondays didn't mean anything? You know, how might you better be able to enjoy your day? And oftentimes some questions like that will flip a switch for folks where they realize, well, what's Monday got to do with it? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you also talked about this idea of the people that are getting phased by things versus yeah. the people that kind of let it roll off, which makes me think about culture and corporate culture and how that plays a role in someone's experience. Yeah. I tell you what, it used to piss me off, Jess, when <laughs> I would be in a situation where people would be, where the situation was horrible. Like, for example a big project would have come onto my work plan for the year and then my budget got cut in half. But my the expectation is you're still going to have to deliver that program only with half the money. It, I would just get internally, I, my stomach would get tight. I'd get headaches. I, um, I wouldn't eat well, um, work too late, just trying and, and trying to um, prove something, I think. And then if people in the room would be like, just letting it go and trying to adjust without getting all worked up, I would actually get angry. And I never really understood what that was about. But I can tell you that going into a lot of detail, it had nothing to do with my budget or my work or my corporate or my boss or anything. It had everything to do with how I perceived change and how I perceived how other people were going to judge me. And when I got really clear about where those inner critic messages were coming from and what they sounded like, I could rewrite them and be able to then respond in a different way and, and, and feel in a different way. That, that was the, 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 the thing about it was I could just be a different person. And um, I still, you get mad, you get angry, you get agitated. I mean, life isn't nirvana. But it's better than it was. <laughs> oh, there's so many interesting things that you're saying. It's hard to choose. But I guess I'll tie this thread by saying that emotions are a real part of the work experience and that maybe it's time to be paying 
a little more attention to some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then I want to go to this idea of the inner critic, because one thing I'm very interested in are your views on how that comes up, especially in situations where people are either new to their careers or switching jobs, or there's a very steep learning curve for some reason or another. What's going on there? And what is your advice to people in that situation? Yeah, I would say most people who are high achievers, really driven, working towards something uh, what they feel is really important for their career have become almost numb to the messages of the inner critic, right? They don't really even hear them anymore. They just allow them to sort of guide their feelings and their behaviors. And these inner critic messages actually come from these early days within our childhood. This is a bit, a bit of psychology here, but I think it's important for people to know that the messages come from our experiences when we did not have the capacity or the maturity to be able to connect the dots on what was happening in our life. This could be uh, something that we hear, something that we experience. Maybe it's a tragedy. Maybe it's painful. Maybe even it was happiness when we were young and we really can't connect the dots about what that actually means. And so we, we begin to make up our own narratives our own stories about what those things mean. And that's what I call our who. And our who is filled with religion and social and childhood and parents and family and friends and experiences in our life. And all of those things push on us, on the emotional side of us, sometimes without our even knowing. And so that's where these inner critic messages come from. Sometimes they can be positive, but most times they're not. Most times they are as a result of something painful that's happened to us that we could never really make sense of. And it becomes our belief system and a part of our value system. And the reason why we get stressed from that is because it is not in alignment with what we really truly believe. So for example, if you grew up in, a, in an environment where women are not supposed to be leaders, you might have some belief about that, or you may always think that you're not worthy or not capable, or you're not smart enough to be there because this is what your who is telling you, that women are not supposed to be leaders. Yet internally, you may have an ambition to somehow lead a team or lead a company or go into your own business or go in a line of work where you would help you know, drive some new innovation. And so when these things bump, up, bump against each other, that's where we get that stress and anxiety. And so this is what I mean by taking a time out and do the inner work is to listen. That's where it starts. Listen for the inner critic messages, even the ones that you've even tuned out and jot them down. And then there's some hard questions you need to ask about where that message comes from. And the biggest question to ask is, is it really true? And true with a capital T, meaning, is it the truth? Is it the truth that women cannot be leaders? Well, we know that's not the truth, right? Women can be anything they want to be too. And so when you examine your thoughts in that way, it can begin to help you realize that there's this fight that goes on internally that is getting in your way. And you got to blow it away so that you can move forward. That's really, really helpful. 
One thing I would love to get your thoughts on are difficult situations. I think this is so universal to pretty much anyone in the professional world, but those times when you're on like a super ugly project, whether it's because there are a bunch of teams involved and it's messy or because you're being asked to do something that isn't your strength or something you don't have experience in and it just feels hard and there's friction and you feel you're kind of dreading it and you feel stuck. What are your thoughts on getting through that? Yeah. So a lot of times we take the the feeling of being stuck as if we don't have a choice and we do sometimes we take the um the feeling of struggle as it's happening to us i don't have any control and sometimes we don't what we do have control of though is how we're going to respond to the situation and so whenever we're faced with something new those are kind of the things that will come up and often if we can just take a real look at the anxiety behind the something new we'll find that it it again is this fear-based energy that we have approached this situation in in that we're afraid that we're going to look stupid we're afraid we're going to fail we're afraid someone's going to uh, do better than us and they'll get the promotion that I'm looking for and all of those things are fear-based thoughts that come from an inner critic. And so getting really clear that, especially in a work environment where you've been placed in sort of a stretch opportunity, or you've been asked to do something messy as you place, as you put it, your boss is oftentimes putting you the, in those situations to observe to see how you're gonna take care of things, or to give you the experience that maybe you, you don't have. And so looking at it from a positive spin instead of a, oh, I don't have the skills to do this and this is why it's such a struggle to I'm going to get this opportunity to learn a new skill and I'm going to need some help in that. And so I need to reach out to this person or that person or talk to my boss more frequently than I normally do to make sure I'm on track is a totally different uh, mindset than the one of fear of I'm struggling or this is ugly. It could very well be ugly, but Oftentimes, if we can approach these situations from this thing that's happening to me is neutral, this is the facts of the matter, I'm putting all this energy on it. I'm putting all this meaning on it. And that's when it takes on this life of, this is a miserable gig. I hate it. (laughs) I want out. It's because we've put that meaning onto it. The thing about fear is so true. And now that I'm thinking about what you said, I'm thinking like, okay, messy project, teams are frustrated, tension, all of the things that happen. And what if everyone could see three, four weeks into the future and they could see a successful outcome and they knew that that's what they were working towards? All of that bad energy would get dropped because it's all coming from a fear that the project's going to blow up or something's going to go wrong. Yeah. What if you could just say, this is this project, no matter what happens, is going to be a success. Mm-hmm. Whatever we learn from this will make us a better team in the future. I'm going to give this 100%. I may have to work extra hours. Yeah, I may get a little stressed out. But what if I'm learning something new that I can apply to the next project? What if we learn how not to do it next time? What if we build trust? So there's a lot of what ifs you can place on it. And that's what I mean by you can assign you can assign the meaning to the messiness. It can either be good or it can be bad. 
And if you view it as bad, then it's going to be bad. I think for me, I'm sure other people can relate to this, but that messiness can sometimes mean a lack of control because I'll be very comfortable on something challenging when it's kind of a closed universe and I have all the tools and I have to go solve it, even if it's really, really hard. But as soon as the variables start getting farther away from me and away from my realm of influence or control, I know that's when my mindset gets really important. I have to start paying attention to things. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. When I feel like I'm out of control, that's when the anxiety picks in. That's where when I'll get irritable and angry uh, is when I think I'm out of when I think it's going to be out of control and I can no longer control the the outcome or the quality of the outcome. And when I stop and take a breath and think about how I want to respond, and when I think about how I'm reacting, because that's reacting in that moment, I realize that part of that is coming from a place of fear where I'm afraid of being judged, or I'm afraid that someone will think I'm not smart, or I'm not worthy, or I'm going to miss another opportunity. And again, it's from those places of fear that we find the anxiety and the, the tension and the catabolic energy to fight whatever it is we can't control. There's such freedom in understanding and having your own self-awareness about what you prefer and what you don't prefer, what your value system is, and what other people's value systems are. And here's what I mean by that. So. I'm someone who really likes to have plans and milestones and calendars, and I like to know what's going to happen when. And when I'm working on a project, if somehow that calendar gets changed unexpectedly, which could mean then a tighter deadline or more work within the deadline, that will cause me anxiety. But most of the time when you boil it down, it's really all the same thing when it comes to control is we're just so afraid we're going to be judged or seen as inadequate. Yeah. And we're not and we're not, right? And we're just not. We're worthy, we were born worthy. Uh, all of us have this innate worth within ourselves and these events are neutral. And so controlling that inner critic and controlling those thoughts help us to then have a perspective about life that's just totally different. And so with the clarity of what's important to me, I know today lists. I like a list. I like to know what's going to happen. And when that gets violated in any way, I know that I could get stressed. And so oftentimes I can just upfront tell people who I'm working with, this is how I like to work. And how might you be able to support me in that? And sometimes I have to say to myself, but this isn't how they work. And so how can I support them in that? It also feels like there's this Darwinian element to workplaces and it triggers some kind of primal thing where we become more reactive and our desire for control and for things to be linear and predictable and within our control is amplified. And I think we lose perspective a little bit. Oh, for sure. When that takes over, when the lymphatic part of your brain takes over and you're in fight or flight, because that's what's happening you lose, you kind of lose your mind. You really mm -hmm. do. And so that's why I say getting really clear about what your value systems are, what your preferences are in the, in the environment in which you want to work in. I actually had a client one time, Jess, who was in a job and she was absolutely miserable. And she had a beautiful office and everything was great. 
and she just couldn't take it. She ended up leaving that job. And when she took her new job, she ended up taking a job where she was in more of an open work environment where she still had privacy within her workspace, but it was more open where she could be with people. And she was absolutely at peace. And it was through her own reflection that she realized that her work environment was very important to her and that being around people was something she needed in order for her work environment to feel fulfilling. And same kind of work for one company and another company. But now she has the clarity of that. And should she ever move jobs again, she's going to know that work environment is going to be really important to her. So interesting. I had a weird thing going on where I thought that I had to prove myself in the most difficult circumstances. And I didn't I didn't have a mindset of like, what do I want and what would make the quality of my life good? I had this just mindset of I need to do the best in every possible place. And this is not about me. This is about this is just like a hustle, hustle, hustle all the time. And that shift is so important. It's exhausting work to do that. I mean, you just literally exhaust yourself, which is was really what I did in my, you know, when I was in South Florida, it was trying to reach an executive position that I knew was within my reach. And I just needed to work harder and harder and harder and harder. And all of that was because that was a part of my identity. And so often when we meet new people, that's one of the first things that we'll ask them is, what do you do? We want to know what they do for their work, right? Mm -hmm. And really, we should be asking them uh, different questions and what their interests are, what their talents are, or what do you like to do for relaxation? Any question other than what do you do? Because that really sets everyone up to think that their professional life is their identity. And we're just, we're just so much more than that. I agree. And I think that can sometimes be hard for people who are overachievers and people who are very oriented towards that success. But it's true. And in my opinion, if I don't have a happy life and I'm not finding joy in things in my day to day, I don't think I can get to that level of performance that I want to be at anyway. Yeah. You know, because it's that's so true because we are just one person you know, we're not split down the middle where we're a person at work and we're a person at home. And then we're a person when we're alone, we are one person. And most of my clients will tell, will tell me this as well. Whatever struggle they're having at work, they're having it at home too. It may look a little different, but it's the same because it's our value system and our belief system. And it's our perspective on life that drives all of our behaviors, whether we're at work or we're at home. And I know for me, I was really trying so hard to prove myself, prove worthiness of myself, um, that that's all I could see. And it, it sets you out on a course where you, you do all the right things sometimes to reach a pinnacle of success, but you're not happy when you get there. Oh, 100%. I had a point in my career where I was in a job that I did not enjoy. I was, I was very clearly not happy in that job, but I was entering this window where you start to be eligible for promotion to the next level. Mm -hmm. And then I got this offer for what was essentially my dream job. And I had these hesitations and this sense of like, oh, like I need to prove that I can do it. And there was like my dream job was right in front of me. And I wanted to stay in this situation just so I could like go for that shiny prize. I was like hungry for it. Yep. Yeah. And so 
if you were to get it, whose approval you, do you think you were looking for? You know, if I were coaching you through that, that would be one of the things I would want us to explore is, well, who were you really working so hard to get that promotion for? Was it for yourself or was it for some sort of validation from someone else? Mm, this reminds me of, um, are you familiar with Martha Beck? Yeah. Um, in her book, Finding Your Own North Star, she talks about the everyone. Yeah. Everyone will judge me. And and when you ask that, that's the first thing I thought about. It's like my everyone. It's like yeah, those everyone. those few people who for some reason I hold their opinion so high and I want them to see how successful I can be. Yeah. Yeah. I need I need that external validation uh, in order to feel successful. The only thing, Jess, is that and this was one of the patterns in my own personal journey was that I could get that love. I could get those accolades from work. Heck yeah. I could work myself into the ground and I could get the promotion. I could work myself into the ground and get the right bonus or even the high five in the hallway or the applause at the company meeting or whatever. I could get that. But the harder I pushed and the more I strived and the higher I got, the less sustainable my behavior was and also the the more fleeting the success felt. So as I did more things, I felt I had to do more things. And um, it just, it's not a sustainable situation when our validation of our self-worth comes from the outside. You know, it's, it's funny that you're saying this because this is something that I'm thinking through. And I think other people too might feel this way there is this part of me that I think that I was born with that just wants to achieve. And some of it is ego driven and some of it is unhealthy, but I've also just identified this other drive. And so I'm kind of trying to figure out what that is and separate those two things because there is something in me that truly enjoys development and achieving goals and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good thing developing new innovative things and achieving goals and and doing exciting things it's fabulous if you're doing them because that's what your your alignment with your purpose and the meaning and your talents and your skills that, that's all driving that then you'll find that you can probably work longer <laughs> and not be exhausted yeah. right yeah. but if you're if you're pushing the goals for some external validation from a boss or a parent or a husband or a partner never going to work. It might work in the short term, but not for the long term. Mm -hmm. And we're so wired that way. We want approval so badly, even though, you know, when we talk about it, it sounds silly and obvious, but it's just, I feel like it's such a part of the human condition. Yeah, it is. Because we learn these things and we develop our belief systems in a time when we we just can't connect the dots to what's happening around us. And this is where we take on these beliefs that in order for me to be a whole person or uh, make someone happy, I've got to have this level of success that I'm striving for. It's interesting because you talked about how when you find that point of alignment, it doesn't feel like work. And Hopefully that can be relief for people who are very ambitious and, you know, are going for something. Once you find the thing that you're really, really good at, I'm sure the entire path starts to shift and feel different. It does. 
Here's one thing I want to say about purpose. Purpose has nothing to do with your career. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word. Sometimes, and and especially in this new age of self-awareness and mindset and really emotions in the workplace, we're really just embarking on this new exploration and what that looks like. We think that our purpose and our mission and our everything that we were born to do lives and breathes in our career. But that's just not true. Our purpose can be something totally apart from our career. And our career is just a means that allows us to fulfill it. Mm -hmm. So I have a a friend of mine who lives and breathes this every day. She works for a a large pharmaceutical retail company. Uh, She never complains about her job ever. But her job isn't her purpose and her mission in life. Her job is a way for her to earn money so that she can do this thing she does after hours and on the weekends that gives her total fulfillment. She wants to help people who are hungry find food. And so she works through this organization called the East Tennessee Cleaners, and she connects surplus food to people. That's her mission. That's her passion is this connecting people and helping people. Her job allows her the means to do that work. And so for her, she loves Monday mornings. She never (laughs) complains about a Monday morning because she knows that in the greater scheme of her life, in the wheel of her life, is balanced because she now knows this is what gives her energy and passion and fulfillment. And the job is just the means to the end. That's such an incredible story. And I think that's such a good way to give perspective on things. And it takes the pressure off, too, because I think there are these idealistic images and narratives of having the dream everything and the perfect job and making tons of money and every all the boxes are checked. And happiness doesn't always look that way. From what you're saying, she sounds like an incredibly happy and balanced person. She is. It's, she's phenomenal. And I love hanging with her because she she wears off this uh, positive energy onto me, this just uh, overall, just look at life uh, and how it is all connected. And, and, and I just love being around her. And she really helped me to see that lived out in a way that I hadn't seen before. Because for me, that that's part of my uh, stress and anxiety was my work was so much a part of my identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think this is a really good takeaway for anyone listening, which is if things aren't going great in your professional life or your job, and maybe you don't know what you want to do next, or maybe right now isn't the right time to try to change it, think about what would give you joy outside of it. And that right. could change the way that your job feels for you on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. If the, if the job is the means for me to do this thing, you know, if, if it's working with children or if it's my art, if it's my writing, I want to write a book or whatever it is that people want to do. If they think of it in that way, that this is the fulfillment of this, it helps to balance out the wheel. You know, there's all part, there's so many parts of our life wheel <laughs> and, and it does literally need to be balanced for us to be um, secure and anchored. But you don't get there until you get really clear about what you want and who you are and what drives you and what you're what your individual preferences are. And it's not self-indulgent to do that. It, no. It's, it's everyone's right as a person to explore. And I think sometimes 
there's a trap of feeling like you always have to be working so hard mm -hmm. and, you know, stopping to do something like that might feel strange, but I think it's, I think more people should be doing it. Yeah. You don't have to like, you know, take a leave of absence for six months to, to accomplish it. You could, you could do it, you know, at home or on the weekends or it's, it's a, it's a process that is hard work. There's no doubt that it's work and it's hard work, but the rewards are so great that it's worth every minute that you would devote to it. And it really does whenever, when, when you find doing the inner work and you get this true alignment with your authentic self, what happens is the judgments and the, the messages that we hear and, and that drive us, they just dissipate and you can almost feel them melt away. And it allows us to live a life that's less judgmental and more objective. And, to, and when you're in that place, then you can make really great decisions for yourself. When you're making decisions in a place of fear, you're destined to repeat them. And we, we see that all the time, you know, people uh, who have bad relationships and they, they say, I attract, I attract the wrong kind of person. Nope. <laughs> you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over thinking you're going to get a different result. What would you say to someone who likes what you're saying and likes the idea of finding alignment, but feels like they have no idea what their passion is? How can they start to uncover it? Yeah. So uh, I feel like I'm going to uh, plug my coaching practice, but I have developed a program and it is the the things that I put myself through in order to work through my time when I left South Florida and ultimately launched my coaching practice. And I've pulled that all together and it really is a seven-step process that I walk people through, but it begins with understanding where you are right now. So to stop right now and say, okay, what, where am I right now? What's pressing me most and what's calling me most and getting clear about that. And then there's something very cathartic, Jess, about writing out one's history. Doesn't matter what the timeline looks like, when it starts and when it ends, but this writing out of the history of the things that happened to you. And you will begin to see when you do that, that there's patterns. And, and you will see that every seven to nine years, a certain pattern of behavior will repeat itself. Most likely, it's places of stress and anxiety. But it will come again and again and again. And in seeing it like on paper, it gets really clear about um, what has happened and where am I. And then it's embracing that, embracing your history, embracing what has happened to you, understanding who you are. Um, there's a lot of different assessments one can take to really get clear about their personality preferences, how they perceive life and their energy levels. I put my clients through those. So that we can sort of create this inventory of who am I and where have I come from? And then from that moment, you're standing at the threshold where you then get to decide what your big ideas are for the future and what your vision is for how you want your life to be. Not what you want to do, but who you want to be. How do I want to be in the world? How do I want to be with my relationships? How do I want to be with money? How do I want to be with my career? And then it's from there you can make plans that are sustainable and can really provide you with a fulfilling life. 
So it's a process. It's a fun process. It's not an easy process. Sometimes it's hard because you uncover things and you're like, wow, why didn't I see that sooner? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But at the end, I think it makes for a more peaceful life. And for me, that's what I was looking for was just an inner an inner peace in knowing that my work was my work, my life was my life, and my relationships were strong. And most importantly, my relationship with myself was strong. And that was the one I needed to work on. Oh, I love that. I don't want to keep you forever. So I'm going to go into the listener question. You have so many insights. I can't stop asking you follow-up questions. Well, just have me back, Jess. This has been a lot of fun. I love it. Oh, good. Okay, good. I'm glad that you're enjoying it. Here's the question. After lots of time and energy invested, I finally managed to make a lateral move in my company from a marketing role to a role in product. I wanted this move so badly and have been so eager to make the switch. But now that it's finally going to happen, I'm getting buyer's remorse. It's starting to sink in that I'm going to go from knowing the team, the skills, and the processes to being completely unfamiliar. Because it's an internal job move, I don't think I'll have the same latitude to have a ramp-up period. What can I do to prepare? How do I hit the ground running? Please help. Sincerely, lateral moves. Yeah. Oh, lateral move. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing. So it's a little bit about what we talked about before where something's new and unfamiliar and there's a challenge there. And also this worry of I'm going to be judged or there's going to be expectations and I'm not going to meet them and I'm not going to get the promotion that I'm looking for, whatever the opportunity is. And it all comes from the way in which we look at the opportunity. So again, I would say to this person, lateral moves, what about this move actually is going to be good for you? What parts of it are going to be something new and exciting that you're going to learn? And how will that learning expand you and prepare you for the next opportunity? Because I really don't believe that our bosses throw us into situations so we'll fail. I know some people are probably like, no, you don't know my boss. My boss would do that in a heartbeat, right? But I I just don't believe it. Just like I don't believe employees get up every morning and think, how can I screw something up today? Everybody wants to do a good job. Everybody wants to be recognized for what they contribute and they want to be valued. And this lateral move is an opportunity. And so how might this person look at that opportunity in a new way that could give them the comfort to know that there's something to be learned here and that it's okay to make a mistake? Oh my gosh, I don't know why we get so hung up on I don't want to make a mistake. Making a mistake is a good thing. It is a good thing. We wouldn't have post-it notes if somebody didn't make a mistake, right? <laughs> right? Because the astronauts were trying to, to uh, find glue that would hold a spaceship together no matter what. And instead, they came up with this adhesive that removed easily. And that's where post-it notes come from. So it's okay to make a mistake. There's something to be learned and gained. And I think lateral moves is probably going to be just fine if, if she could he or she could just take a step back and realize that finding a really true level of awareness will prevent them from being so judgmental about their own performance. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm going to get into the closing questions. Sure. So this podcast is called The Art of Speaking Up. So I love to ask every guest to share their thoughts on speaking up. Well, speaking up 
to me, if we were to put uh, some sort of a definition on that, is a way for an individual to express their thoughts and ideas without the concern of judgment and retaliation. And so oftentimes we don't speak up because we're afraid of just that thing, that what I say is going to sound stupid or someone's going to react in a way that's going to hurt my feelings or embarrass me. When the truth of the matter is, if you speak up and you speak your truth and you speak what's on your mind and your opinions, you will feel better about yourself. And if you do say something stupid, just embrace it, right? It doesn't mean that you're not smart or you're not worthy or all of those crazy things that we tell ourselves. We, we're all in this human experience together. And so speak up, speak what's on your mind, speak out your opinions. You were born worthy and you're still worthy and you'll always be worthy. And that means your opinions and your thoughts are worthy too. So I know I've, <laughs> having been in a male dominated industry where a female was not welcomed into that circle, uh, speaking up was something I had to learn to do because they were very happy to have me not speak. But I had something to share. And I uh, had an opinion and I wanted them to know it. So speak up. Thank you for sharing that and for being an example for people. That's so powerful. Thank you. For the final question, mm -hmm. I like to give the guests the floor. For a little bit of context, I created this show to reach young women who might be struggling with some of the things that I struggled with in my 20s. Mm. So I like to turn it to you to be able to do that same thing to speak to listeners however you would like to. So I just had a flashback back to my 20s, which probably if I uh, would be probably fodder for another show, Jess. But <laughs> when I was uh, 24 years old, I found myself with no skills, no job, two children, and divorce papers. And my husband was an alcoholic. And I had to, at that moment, decide how I was going to raise my children, how I was going to provide for them. And it was a defining moment of my life. It spurred me into realizing that there was, wasn't anything I couldn't do if I didn't put my mind to it. And I say that to any of the young women out there who are in a situation in their early 20s where they feel like it's insurmountable or that they've made mistakes that they can't overcome. And so this is my destiny. I was 24 years old. By the time I was 32 years old, I owned my own business and ran that business successfully, raised my children, remarried to a wonderful man. Uh, not that that's a defining characteristic. I'm just saying that there is a love available <laughs> on the other side of heartbreak. And today I have this beautiful family and this beautiful career. And it wasn't without its ups and downs. It was not an arc. It was a roller coaster. But there isn't anything you can't overcome if you truly decide that that's what you want to do. And there's no mistake that this isn't really a springboard for something better. So I want people to know that. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Brenda. 
I loved talking with her. I learned so much and I hope that you did too. If you want to get in touch with her, I'll put her website in the show notes. It's just brendabairdcoaching.com. Her last name is spelled B-A-I-R-D. And I will also put a link in the show notes to a book that I mentioned on the fly when we were talking, when Brenda was asking me why I wanted that promotion and who I was trying to impress. I started talking about Martha Beck and I mentioned a concept in one of Martha Beck's books. It's a book called Finding Your Own North Star and it's the concept of everyone. So in case I didn't do a good job explaining it in the interview with Brenda, basically this book is all about finding your purpose and understanding what makes you happy and what drives you to do the things that you do in your career. And it also goes into some of the reasons why we don't do the things that we truly want to do in our careers and why we don't pursue our dreams and why we keep ourselves small. And Martha Beck has this concept of everyone. And sometimes when we're talking ourselves out of things, we'll say things to ourselves like, everyone will judge me or everyone will think that I'm weird or stupid. And so when Brenda asked me, oh, why did you want that promotion? Who were you doing it for? My mind immediately went to the concept of everyone. And it's like, well, I was trying to please my everyone. And in the book, it's super interesting, but she explains how we have this concept of everyone. We think like everyone's watching us and everyone's going to judge us and we need to impress everyone. And one of the very interesting things that she does in the book, among many other things, it's an incredible book, is she explains that our everyone feels like everyone, but actually this concept of everyone that we're so worried about being judged by and that we're trying to impress, it's actually not everyone. It's actually just a list of usually like two or three people where for some reason we care about their opinions so much and we hold them in such high regard and we're always trying to impress them and make them think that we're cool and show them how successful we are. And the book is filled with insights like that. So I'll link it in the show notes in case you want to check it out. And hopefully this makes that part of the conversation with Brenda make a little bit more sense. We were both familiar with Martha Beck, so she understood it right away. Anyway, thank you for listening. I hope that you have an incredible day, an incredible week. And please remember that you can reach out to me anytime. I love hearing from you. My Instagram handle is at the art of speaking up. And my email is jessica at theartofspeakingup.com. As always, I'm super excited to be in your ears again next week and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Bye.